0: Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands,
1: the Second Amendment, and good food. What is up, everybody? I have Jim to my right. I've got Eric across from me. Eric, it's been a little bit, and I'm going I'm to reserve our special guest here for one second.
0: I like how you always give everybody the lay of the land. <laughs> yep.
1: Have I ever not been to your right? Cardinal directions.
0: Hey, you got it. You it gotta sounded
2: hu- good. Y- I'll, I'll it, say that. Yeah. That's good thank, to hear. Thank
1: you, thank you. I like to use my directionals, Jim. There's your first car term of the day. Anyway, the topic of mobile hunting very popular these days. Eric, I know you're a big fan. You implement those that style of hunting quite a bit. It's it's all all the talk of the town and and the whitetail hunting world, going light and fast, uh, trimming your kit, uh, shifting on the fly, reading sign, and just going for it. And uh, I know that's how we like to hunt a lot around here. And we have a special guest today who you may have heard their voice, and if you know this person's voice, then you already know who it is, but he's sitting across from me a little bit further to my right, across from Jim, if anybody was wondering. We've we've got Cody DeKisto. Oh, you did it wrong. It was close. De- DeQuisto. <laughs> we just yeah, talked. We, we just yeah, yeah. talked. Got, about you go. God, you guys made me so
2: nervous. Cody Tequesto. There you go. Yeah. Thank you, <laughs> Cody. Thank you for joining me. It's good to be here, man. That was an awesome intro. Thank you. Uh, yeah, that was. That I was, that was on point. I
1: appreciate the positivity.
2: That's why yeah. we're paying the big
1: bucks.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome to be here. See the see the facility, man. Talk about a cool place. Just got to look at the the range, the the whole thing, soup to nuts, man. It was cool. Yeah. Thank you. Bike shop. We did throw oh, in the bike not... shop. Let's, <laughs> not, uh, let's not talk about that. We yeah. don't have to. <laughs>
0: Any anybody who comes, uh, we'll just leave that one up to yep. interpretation. <laughs> exactly. Cody got tossed into the bike
1: shop, completely blind. But anyway, I'm glad we're. Uh, I'm glad we're finally recording because we were talking earlier. We probably should have just been recording this visit. The last for like. Four hours, because I think we would have recorded like 19 different podcasts with all the ground we covered and, and really cool topics, talking about mobile hunting and, and everything else under the sun. But I think we're, f- we're finally getting to it here. Super pumped. So, But before we get too deep into this thing, Cody, why don't you uh, um, talk a little bit ab- about yourself, which uh, I'm sure you probably love doing, but... Uh, <laughs> Talk a little bit about yourself, your family history. I mean, you got you have a storied storied history in in the whitetail space with with Lone Wolf and Lone Wolf Custom Gear and and XOP and just your family history and and really just kind of like a you know and I guess an iconic family name for for lack of a better word and and tons of experience too. So I mean, definitely in my opinion, one of the one of the most respected people in the space. And uh, I know I definitely learn a lot every time I listen to you. So
2: oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, really, I came up completely surrounded by whitetail. Like it was just, you know, for those who may not know, my old man founded the company Lone Wolf, uh, uh portable tree stands. Uh, it was always a mom and pop business. They operated right out of the garage in the backyard. So from an early age on, I was subjected to like hunting was just, you know, some families are football families. Some families do this, like this. Well, not that everybody hunted, but like, that was what the old man did and that was what I always looked up to and it was like okay well yeah you know i mean it's 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 about hunting and you know the original design and invention of those stands that he made so many years ago were you know for i guess you know lack of i guess identifying any differently is like there wasn't something in the marketplace that was providing him it wasn't there wasn't the proper tool for him to hunt how he wanted to hunt and that was being portable so Thus, birthed Lone Wolf portable tree stands, and you know, for many, many years after that, Lone Wolf was the benchmark in tree stands. Uh, he designed and patented the first cast aluminum stand, which uh, was in the early '90s. He had the first climbing stick. So, and this is all relative because because this is what I started with. So, you you look at these recent trends into mobile hunting and people getting a little bit you know, crazier, or more minimalistic or, or just moving. It's all I've ever known. So uh, from the start, that was the game. That was how you played it. That was how you were successful. So I never really had any, anything else to compare to. So over the course of the years, as I became, you know, my own in hunting, I mean, I've been mobile hunting my entire adult life, got into it at a very young age, but there was always like that need to modify the system a little bit you know always tweaks and as a I would consider myself like a mechanical person or just more like I guess ritualistic and um, I like things the way I like them and how they work and so my canvas like in a you know in my mind was always the lone wolf stand so I was building off of the staple right so over the course of the years like you know you develop little nuances that you do, tips, tricks, you know, ways you set up your gear. So that kind of led into uh, the birth of XOP. XOP is another tree stand cast line that I kind of designed in the image of a lone wolf. When I went into the tree stand space, it wasn't about reinventing the wheel. It was about making what was the best better. So, you know, a big thing for that was to, you know, have that same high-end cast aluminum quality, Better features at more of an affordable price for you know the everyday guy, and it was always still like the mission to hook people into that mobile game that uh, you know might not have been doing that and utilizing the ladder stands and whatnot so and that took hold and uh, great stands uh, I still do a lot of work with XOP designing sales all that, and then you know fast forwarding a little bit farther forward into the last couple years like the Lone Wolf custom gear line has made its debut which is a just it doesn't get any more mobile, it doesn't get any more compact. it's completely flipped you know 180 from what was always there. so we're we make the stands out of a different process. they're lighter, uh, they pack down differently and with this recent trend and change in the industry, this fit like a peg because and it's funny because this is this system essentially that we're about to go through or look at is the same thing that I've been using for so many years. It's just now commercially available. It it was always the, you know, kind of the talk of like, okay, well, is our do the people want it? Is the industry ready for a, a more expensive tree stand and for something that's really going to Cuz I will say this, mobile hunting has always been a niche. Right. It's been a very it's been a niche of a niche, you know, and it's not a very vast group of people. So but with the turning tides uh, recently and everybody wanting to be more DIY and more go-get'em, the custom gear line was birthed and it's uh, taken off pretty hard. So that's kind of my um, you know my story. I, I make a living in the hunting industry, designing products and um, you know things like that. But just at heart, just a a whitetail fanatic.
0: What do you think it is about people nowadays that makes the mobile hunting, run and gun thing a little bit more? seemingly attractive to the newer hunters that are coming into it or so i think i
2: think what it is is probably with the rise of like the youtube and the diy and more of that stuff i guess just projected at a mass scale because it's even like you look at saddle hunting which has become like this crazy thing everybody thinks it's brand new well we we actually did the first dad launched it in 2005 Ive was the first saddle platform that was at, but back then everybody looked at it like, What right. is that thing? Like, that is, mm-hmm. that is, I don't know about that. And it, and it was short lived in the Lone Wolf line because it was such a niche, but there was staffers, there was, you know, guys who were seasoned who were using it, who were killing deer, whatnot. And now we can go into a, a whole spiral down there on whether I think the saddle is the way or tree stand is the way, but, yeah. but we won't, we won't touch on that right now. But I think. It's just the increase of content and exposure that I guess identifying these people who are being mobile and just getting it out there at a mass scale. It has to be it because you can't argue its effectiveness. Like there's so many people. I also think that the mobile style brought newcomers into the sport a little bit too because I think when you think tree stand hunting, you develop, you have this connotation of like an overweight, sloppy Midwesterner guy who's Pound in a six pack of beer and just walks out to his. Yep. At least that's what I've I've gotten for so many years. Like over the course of trade shows, meeting people in industry and out. Like, oh, you're a hunter. Like, oh, you tree stand hunt. Like, you yeah. know, to whereas like you say like, oh, I, yeah, I I hunt elk welco- elk out west, and then it's like, oh, okay, he's he's a hunter. Like he's right. a, he's an actual hunter. Like, oh, he must be in shape or <laughs> he must be <laughs> right. To whereas like, oh yeah, I live in Wisconsin and I hunt deer. You just kind of develop. You know, there's that connotation there. So. Yeah, I think it's just exposure, and and it it intrigues people. Yeah, yeah
1: you're not you're not quite fitting that stereotype. So yeah,
2: no, I think I think too. Like
3: like you hit on the the amount of content out right now. It's really focused on the DIY public land thing. Yep. Is is super hot. Getting lighter, faster. I think that is more attractive right now, and it's just picking up a lot of steam. But it's nothing that is brand new. Like no, this no. is something that there's been guys that have been mobile deer hunting in northern Wisconsin with a, uh, a bucket carried into the woods and just sitting on a stump. Like, yep. at its core, that is mobile hunting, and I think that's just stemmed into more technology and more advan- advanced, advancements, advancements, which is what we have here today <laughs> and what we're going to kind of talk about.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, you talk about the public land side of things, which you can definitely be mobile on public or private. Yep. Like, it's not, like, exclusive to one or the other, but I, I know for myself, hunting predominantly public land, definitely private when I'm lucky, sprinkled throughout, but it it kind of, you're kind of forced into it, right? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. lots of places you can't leave a stand overnight, so, or, you know, things shift, or, you know, other people, you know, move into a piece, or there's pressure one way, so you got to go a different way, so you're kind of, you're kind of almost, um, it's just the the way you have to live out there, you know, you're not just going to, well, I mean, I guess you could plunk a stand out there and just let it sit, but...
3: And Cody, I think one story that you can almost share that I think dovetails into this is you mentioned an Illinois buck a couple of years ago that shot on a piece that was getting hunted pretty heavily by a lot of folks who came up. And on the first day, you ended up kind of sneaking in around those guys and shot that thing on the first day. And I think that kind of pairs well with what you're saying, Mark, like. When, when it comes to mobile hunting, you're go, you're pursuing the deer. You're not sitting there and, and waiting for it. to And come there's to
2: you. and there's definitely. I mean, if you want to actually look at, you can take mobile hunting and you can you can divide that into a lot of different categories. Like like you said, uh, a guy who is, I mean, at the very root of hunting, literally walking on the ground with a bow or a gun, or yep. I mean, like I, technically he's he's mobile hunting. Uh, I mean you could you can mobile hunt with a ladder stand like you you could if you wanted to I don't think many people are doing that I think what it is and like what I do and like how I see so I'm I'm just obsessed with uh the, the chase of an animal the actual hunt right so and with that being said like the things that break that up and make that is okay here's a piece of ground no matter what piece of ground it is yep. I don't care if it's if we're hunting in the back of the vortex place and that mm-hmm. little hedgerow, or or if it's a, a two thousand acre piece of public ground, or if it's a private farm, like the objective to me and what I want to do, like my the passion that lies within me is like okay, I want to figure this piece of ground out, figure out how these animals are using it, and like move make my move, beat them in their territory, and be successful at hunting an animal down, like it. it I don't know, you know, I mean, we can have this whole conversation too, like whether that's needed, like, is it wrong to hunt? Is it whatever? But I think it's within us all at a certain level, but that's where my passion comes into play. And to do that, I need to be mobile. I need to be uh, light. I need to be aggressive and I need to be thinking at a constant basis. I don't want to sit. I mean, I'm a very impatient guy too, so I can't sit there. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a sit and wait type of person, but with that being said, you know, and you can argue throughout the years that I've been doing this a long time, I still, and you can argue, you work for a tree stand company, you design tree stands. I will still, I will go head to head with anybody who argues that hunting from an elevated position, there's any better way to do it for whitetails. There's not. Ground hunting is effective. I know people who kill them from the ground. You can do that. I've gotten opportunities that deer on the ground, but I still think. Nine times to one, you are at an advantage in an elevated position with whitetail. So that's where it kind of, the whole thing, the collection is is bird. That's like, okay, I need to be able to go get them, do this. Like I said, you can do that with a ladder stand, you can do that with whatever. But in that situation where you mentioned, it's just, it's okay, how well can you analyze this ground? And then how well can you strategically move in and kill the animal you're after or or a good animal um and i i get a lot of questions too like about public versus private versus whatever i hunt any piece of ground the exact same way i mean because there's one mission it did i don't think about like oh i'm hunting public so i should probably do this or i don't think about like that i'm on a private ground and even on pieces of ground that i have permanent setups which are great to have and and technically if you had a million permanent setups and you were moving between those you would still be mobile in a fashion but what I became obsessed with is the just uh the mission of like okay I am never married to anything like wherever I go like I am ready to rock and what I have on my back I am prepared for any single situation not to where like okay you're heading into a stand and it's a permanent stand and like you it doesn't look as good as you thought it did going in there you know then you're like oh okay what do I do I just hunt here I've said this before. Like I try not to hunt anywhere that I'm not confident about the spot.
1: Mm -hmm. What does that approach look like when you're approaching that piece of property? Like what what's your process there? I mean, are you just looking to kill a nice buck? Are you looking to kill a specific buck? If you are looking to kill a specific buck, how are you even finding
2: out that that buck is there? Like what's that look like? Um, So I, you know, I've gotten. This is another another very controversial topic and whether or not you want to talk about this age versus inches thing or, or specific bucks versus good bucks. Like, I've always been like, I think it's important to set goals. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting a, you know, a trophy is, is something different to everybody. You know, you might like something different than I, let's say you like drop times. Let's say I don't really like them that much, you know, like in your goal is to shoot a buck with a drop time. No matter, like, who am I to say that, like, oh, that's stupid. You need to be shooting a -a five-and-a-half-year-old deer. It doesn't matter if it has a drop time. Like, so I think that's important. So with me, yes, I have a caliber of deer in mind, like, and I think that's just over the course of years, like, that has always been my gauge to increase my game. So to whereas now I grew up in a little different of an environment, like, I grew up looking at very big deer on the wall. So I was conditioned to, like, to, like, when I go hunt, areas of of ground or something with deer that I don't and that could just be my head messed up but I just don't perceive them as the trophy that I want so it's I'm looking for something you know you know a certain caliber a certain size or just something that trips my trigger essentially but I guess it all depends where I'm at and I guess how much I know about that ground how you know, what it looks like as far as that goes. So if I'm looking for a cert, uh, deer of a certain caliber, like the only way I'm going to find out if he's there would be one to like, I guess, do some, some Intel, like trail cameras and stuff like that and look outside a season or there's a lot of things that people do. I don't really like that too much. So I find out what's in an area by hunting it. And sometimes it's a longer way to get to the end goal, but you're actually hunting. You're not setting something out. You're not setting out a piece of electronics and just, you know, like, oh, okay, well. And, yes, you still have to hunt them once you get that intel. But nowadays, I think so many people become dependent on, like, having to get a picture of a deer or having to, you know, know. To me, it's almost now about the unknown. Like, it's especially when looking for something, I guess, that, I don't know. It's hard to say because I look at Ohio. Ohio was thousands and thousands of acres last year that we were talking about earlier I didn't know what was there, but I knew one thing, there was big deer out there. There had to be, there's no way there couldn't be, you know? So in my mind, I was going to hunt until I seen something probably either that tripped my trigger or that was, you know, one sixty or better. Like that's just what I wanted out there. That's what I wanted out of that piece of ground. Uh, Not many people are doing that. So I wanted to do it. And that's what was driving me to push those hills and and find where I needed to be and get where I needed to be. And you just can't, you know, you got to have, you got to have goals
1: for sure. I think that that's interesting what you're talking about there with like, you know, running trail cameras or not running trail cameras like I'm not like for or against. Like I think like you said like whatever you're into, situational. whatever t- situational, like what what tactics you employ, you know, you might employ different tactics whatever, man. Like I mean hunting is not hunting and, and the trophy is in the eye of the beholder. But one thing that I th- think is interesting with trail cameras and like a good buddy of mine had a nice piece of ground, had a giant buck on there. Like, and it was, like, and it was cool that he knew that deer was there and only saw it on trail cam, like, a couple times. I don't think he ever saw it in person. And he ended up shooting, like, a super nice buck that year. Like, a, truly, like, a trophy buck. Like, I think it was probably, like, 40s, 50s type buck. And he was like, oh, man, but I didn't I didn't get that other one. I'm like, what are you talking right. about? You know, <laughs> yeah. it's just like, it's almost like that knowing, like, took away yeah. From what should have been like this, like super. Right. And now we're getting more philosophical and well, not tactics, but I just yeah. it's like an interesting observation. But I feel. but
3: in with that, and this dovetails into. Cody, when you, when you like to hunt, you know, I know you're, you're huge on on early season, October. Uh, we talked about, you know, offline here about how the rut just isn't the best time. You know, that's, you feel that that's not the optimal time for you and your tactics to be in the woods. Blasphemy, uh, Eric. And I, and I think this kind of dovetails into the trail camera thing because a lot of folks set a camera on a scrape. They wait to get that picture of that deer on that scrape, and then it's time to hunt. If that buck's only moving a couple times in daylight, you might have just missed that one opportunity while you were sitting on the couch waiting for that picture. But Cody, do you want to get into, you know, that early October time frame and and even I guess to unpack that even a little bit further, like what time of day? Is it morning? Is it afternoon? What's kind of your game plan when it comes to hunting your way into a property and, and attacking it?
2: I've always liked mornings. Uh, early October is a, is, is a great time. It's my favorite time to hunt. There's, there's patterns to be found out. There's, there's, uh, you know, the deer are doing something, something different so, or they're doing something, I guess, consistently. Now, you know, when you look at the, the late October time frame now, and I've never done a whole lot of like, I've never hunted anywhere where there's velvet deer, mm-hmm. which I want to like, you know, and that's even earlier and pushing the envelope earlier and earlier, but secondary from, uh, from like the get-go of the season, like so, it's a it's a systematic approach of moving around and figuring out what is happening, what where the deer movement is happening on that piece of ground. I mean, now, and if you're if you're sitting in front of thousands and thousands of acres, well, that's gonna be a, a bigger chore. Like you know, it's just it's just how it is. You know, if you're on a forty-acre woodlot, it's gonna take you re- real quick. You're gonna find out if anything's moving through there, what's moving through there. So it's just a it's just a systematic approach. Like this past year. I killed, um, a deer in Southern Illinois on October 3rd. So the third day of the season, and it was just, okay, let's scout this piece of ground. Let's figure out where these deer are, where they're coming through. And it's, it's very, this is where I kind of, I, I go back. If you really break it down, there's, it's, it's really very simple. It just, it just takes, I guess the effort to do it. It's like, you have to, you have to, figure out what the deer are doing at that particular time. That's why the, that's why I don't like looking at properties in July. I don't like, I mean, even shed hunting, so many guys on social media and stuff are like, they're, they're planning next year off of where they find these sheds. And that has absolutely nothing to do. I mean, maybe you'd get lucky. And like, if this deer was like such a homebody or if you got feeders out on your property, like, in and, and I mean, that's a whole different story, but we're talking about just a piece of ground, nothing done with whatever, private, public, but you're just looking at what the deer are doing or people who don't find sheds or whatever. Well, if you're not finding sheds, it's probably because the deer were not wintering on your property because it didn't have what they wanted at that time. So they're somewhere else. Like it's not that you just have no deer in that area. Um, And just because you picked up a shed out in the field doesn't mean you're going to be able to go there in October and kill that buck. Right. So it's all relative to the time of the year. Food sources change, their cravings, their desires change, patterns change, you know, different deer do different things people get caught up in trying to generalize deer when really what they need to do is just look at it on a case-by-case basis, change with the tides. Like, Just because you killed a buck on this ridge last year does not mean you will kill a buck on that ridge next year. I mean, it's just, so I kind of just have a very simple approach of a process of elimination on areas of ground. I think it's important to look at segments of ground before, instead of looking at a, it's like a to-do list, right? If you got and i i fall victim to this a lot but let's say you got 70 things on your to-do list like the last thing you want to do is look at them as 70 things you're like right. oh, like that's a lot of things i got to do yep when you look at when you when you've taken the concept of like all right let's do one first let's do number one and number two then things start to get done then versus trying to tackle everything at once um, what, what do you prioritize those things then like what's
1: like what's number one
2: yeah Uh, So, like, right away, I'm going to look at food source. I'm going to look at water if it's hot. So, like, very simple. Like, people overlook water, I think. Um, Like, these deer got to drink. They're eating. The deer are eating somewhere. I mean, you got to find out where that is Uh, or travel routes. I mean, just, but nothing beats finding deer in general. Even if you have, so let's say, let's say you've never, let's say you've, for, I guess, purposes, let's say you don't know what a track, let's say you don't really even know what a deer track is right? You don't know anything. You are, you are a straight beginner. You don't know what a, a scrape is, or these guys get crazy on rubs and scrapes and all this stuff. And so what are you going to do? What would you do if you had absolutely no knowledge of whitetails, but you were going out in the woods to like, what? I'm asking you, what would you do? Find food and water? <laughs> well, no, see, like, I'd probably I probably just look for brown bodies. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. That, so that's, that's what I'm, that's what you want to do. So and that was on the head so or that's what I do so if you can find if you don't know anything about those deer and a lot of people fool themselves in thinking that they're like these awesome scouters or whatever you can't go wrong with finding the deer because if you find the deer then and you see them with your eye yep even if it's a, if it's anything like you're finding out where those deer are that's a tactic in itself like so instead of just looking at a map because there's some whack jobs out there that'll literally claim that they can look at a map and tell you where Penported. all the deer are yeah because that's just that's bs like i mean yeah you might get lucky but the only way you're really going to know is if you can go in there and read the sign or you can go in there and see them so that's always a great starting point is finding out where those deer are start to slip in and infiltrate those areas because then you're going to see what type of deer they are if they're those if they're bucks if there's something you want to shoot so if you can't do anything else just find the deer and then once you find the deer go in from there you know and You know, you got to start to learn these things, though. Like, you know, I mean, obviously tracks are, you know, you see a beet trail coming out into a bean field and all the beans are freaking gnawed off. Like you can take a you can surmise that a lot of deer are hitting this bean field, you know, early. They like those bean fields. If you wait a little too long and those beans start to turn, they'll completely abandon that field and they'll go somewhere else, you know. So and where are they going? I don't know. Maybe Johnny has a corn pile on on, uh, illegally on the farm next door. Or maybe you're in northern Wisconsin and they're traveling you don't know, but you have to find out, right? So how are you going to find out? You know that trail went cold. You have to get down and move around and find where they're going now. Find the fresher sign. Find where they're eating. Find, And that's where people don't, they're like, oh, yeah, this bean field, this is where I have my stand. It's on this bean field. Like there's deer out here. They come out here. Like they get caught in that trap to where they're just sitting on that bean field. Or they shot a deer last year on that bean field. So like, oh, this is the spot. This is where I need to be. So many people are skeptical of looking around and just moving in general because I think for so long they've been conditioned to think that like deer don't handle any sort of stress, which is bull. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna straight out say it like <laughs> deer will handle stress. I mean, even if you you know, and there's that there's that argument where it's like okay, well these are pressured deer, these are unpressured deer. Okay, either deer is gonna handle. If I go into a pressured air and and then see now we can even back up, we can define pressure right, right. I mean, like I get asked that a lot, will do you ever hunt any pressured deer? I'm like, okay, we'll define a pressured deer, like I mean, like what are you classifying as a pressured deer, yeah, and it's is it a deer that's constantly being badgered? Is it a deer that's been shot at seventeen times like in the past two years like I, I don't know, like like tell me what a pressured deer is, and I'll tell you, like there's deer that are pressured that are extremely docile yeah some of them some of the most docile easy to kill deer are deer that are pressured all the time because they get used to pressure so so where are you drawing this line so it's i mean it's one or or even like the oh like the bigwoods deer like well this is a bigwoods deer so this is okay well i don't know what that means but so (laughs) you're you're putting a classification of a whitetail as a bigwoods deer what does that actually mean is that oh well it's never seen a person well, in that sense, I mean, is that a non pressured deer at all? Should that deer be easy to kill? Right. If he's not, if he doesn't know what a person is, <laughs> go out there and two down a grunt tube. <laughs> in well, <theory>. I mean, <laughs> it's it's one of those things where I don't think people re- like. There's so much bullshit out there, right. and there's so many. Oh well, yeah. This is a big woods buck. This is a pressured buck. This is a public land buck. This is a private land buck. Like, yes, you can you can get granular with every single. They're all whitetail. You should hunt them all the same. Find out what they're doing and kill them. Like that's that's uh, that's what it's about. It's not about like, oh, well, I'm, hunting a, I'm hunting a big woods buck, so I got to go about it with a big woods strategy. I mean, it, if you're climbing up a mountain to hunt a buck who's eating acorns versus if you're walking out the backyard to hunt a buck who's eating acorns, you're, w- would you not do it the same way? I don't know. It's, I'll probably get ridiculed for that, too, because people—
0: I don't think i do it the same way—or uh, I would do it the same way now.
2: yeah after Cody yelled at me well I'm just I'm just I just look at it I think people tend to and I and I can see this because I do it in every other facet of my life I'm an overthinker right I'm always thinking of it as a chess game right I'm like thinking okay well this 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 like eight steps ahead which I think is a benefit and a detriment to me at the same time but I try and keep whitetail as simple as possible like the simpler the better just like even like these these tree stand designs and anything you're – it's always better to gravitate on the simple side of things. Look at things on a simple perspective and for one, you're not going to overwhelm yourself. For two, it's, it isn't as complicated as you think it is. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. funny
0: you brought up like you asked the question, you know, if you'd never hunted deer before, you didn't even know what deer tracks or uh, rub looked like, what would you do? getting into the mind of somebody who is a complete beginner. And it, and that phrase gets tossed around all the time, that beginner's luck phrase. And everybody's always kind of like, yeah. oh, yeah, it's complete BS. You know, you went out there, you happened to just kind of like do whatever somebody told you, you did it just right. It's like, well, actually, there's a lot to beginner's luck. For beginner's sure. luck really isn't luck at all. It's actually the fact that, like, you took somebody out to shoot at a 1,000 yards, and you said, the idea is to dial what you need to dial, put the reticle on the target, and pull the trigger without messing up the reticle. Yep. Oh, you miss by a little bit? Look, you have a ruler right in front of your face. Use that to measure how much you miss by and make the correction and shoot again. You know, and it's like, oh, okay, and then that person hits a target at a thousand yards, they feel all great. Well, next thing you know... Then they go into all the forums, and it's like, well, did you think about spin drift and ballistic jump, and when your bullet's going transonic, and did you run it through, were you using radar yeah. or Doppler or a chronic? Like, did you, what, muzzle velocity? You're like, no, no, I, I just didn't overthink I just, it. Yeah, <laughs> I just did it. And so uh, that happens so, so
2: often uh, right. in, in all things. It's I very th- interesting th- to hear that on a shooting perspective, too, because it's the same thing. Yeah. And it's just honestly, it's the same thing with arrows and your bow and like guys get so caught all right like we can all agree we're we're trying to you know we're we're harvesting a white-tailed deer right guys get so ingrained and if their arrow is not the the right spine and it's not the right weight forward and they don't have the right kinetic energy and it's not this many grains and it's you're gonna laugh but i get one of the most frequent questions i get at the show is what's your arrow setup look like or what, what is your arrow setup? And I tell him, I have no idea. I've (laughs) never ever got into, I don't know how much my arrow weigh. I know this. I know that my broadheads are a hundred grain. Yep. That's it. I mean, it's, it's so, and people, people laugh, but then if you look at it on a simplicity standpoint, like I said, I'm at the root of it, I'm a hunter, man. Like just, you could give me any bow. You could give me any, like, it wouldn't really matter. Like, you know, On a grand scheme of things, like I'm more about the even too. Like I I don't ever shoot my bow. I I really don't. Like I mean, I probably should shoot more, but I shoot it just enough to like know it's on at 20 yards, and that's all I have to do. And people, I've been told so many times, you shoot your your arrows way too light. It's way too light. And I've even fell into the trap of like, oh, they're right. My my arrow's too light. Like yeah. all these guys, like yeah, somebody looks right. at my arrow and they're like, yep, this is X grains. Like dude, you need to be shooting this. And I think to myself, I'm like, am I doing it wrong? Like maybe I sh- maybe I should be shooting. And then I rewind a little bit and I'm like, I've killed a lot of deer with this light arrow. Why is it wrong? <laughs> like like right. this arrow sails through every deer yeah. I ever shoot with it. Like do then I-, I think, do I need to change it? Like. And that's a textbook, I think, example of these people who think too far into it. Like, you can kill these deer. I've shot a deer with a a field tip because I didn't, you know, my broadhead was messed up. I seen that it was bent because I just reused the broadheads. Like, I'm shooting iron will now, and I shot both the deer with the same broadhead. I was going for a third one with that same head. I don't care if it's dull. I don't care if it, dude, that's another thing. These guys, some of these guys are like, sharpening their broad head and like it's got it's got to shave my arm hair it's got to shave my arm i'm like dude really does it really have to shave your arm hair i mean and if you guys are like that i'm sorry but i'm just like I, I'm, <laughs> I'm over I, here I lo- getting real nervous because i know mark's blood is boiling Well, he
1: it's not, at, i think and, Eric, and that
0: might eric's be one of got his foc feelings hurt yep. mark, well, won't, mark won't even let anybody breathe on his arrow well, well,
3: yeah that thing. is very true but
2: is it something that like and now i have quirks like, like that of my own too like my tree stand right when I set up my tree stand the straps cannot be turned it cannot be turned I love it to where somebody might argue like does it really matter that your straps can't be turned <laughs> well no but it makes me feel good like I just I can't so and if you got a if you got an arrow addiction like that but I do think that that is complicating the overall process of like these guys have this feeling in their head that they can't kill a deer if the arrows not 600 grains and they don't have X amount of FOC yeah. When realistically, it's not the case. Just like, I guess, you know, in the shooting terms, like sometimes it's just, let's think about it at the, at the simplest, at the simplest point there is, you know, and that's where my setup comes into play. A lot of, I made a post and I got bashed on this. Right. And it was about like, Hey, like leave the bullsh behind. Right. What do you, what do you really need? You need a knife, you need your tag. And I mean, like, I mean, what, what really else is there that, I mean, like really at the base of things, like if you're going out to hunt and you're not on some Alaskan excursion, you're not staying overnight, you're going out to hunt. Why do you have a book bag that is twice as big as my kids, you know, for school, like and you're. You're going out for three hours. Like, what do you got in there? Right. You got lunch. You got beverages. Are you you hosting a cocktail party? Now Mark's there's feelings aren't Mark. <laughs> <laughs> but but, Co- but Cody, I want to open your eyes here, Mark. We <laughs> yeah. talked about that in the main room, and you were I seen him. He was like, "Oh my god, like what?" Well, it's because there's lots of important things in that bag. Yeah. There's a lot. There's yeah, a lot yeah. of important
0: things. You never know when you're going to need another bow <laughs> or another <laughs> puffy. <laughs> you another set of yeah, arrows. Yeah, so yeah. With
2: Mark, it's always it's a, oh yeah,
0: I got an extra Dude, one. Of those. I'm
2: telling you, Mark. It will be set me free, Cody. Dude, it will. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it will be like a weight off your shoulders and you'll realize. And it's just it's like a lot of these things that I preach that people don't at first they don't. Sometimes it takes years Like, because I yep. we talked about the consumer shows. Right. So I'll yep. talk to people. I'll give them like a little tidbit or like they'll ask me, hey, how do you move around so much and how do you hunt some? I'm like, because I'm light and I don't care anything. And then they hear that. And then, so you're gonna try it? You're gonna ditch your backpack? Oh no, no, no! I need my backpack. So, right? Okay, all right. Yeah. Sometimes it takes years of people hearing that, and then finally, I'll get them like come to the show. Like, you know what, Cody? I'm, I'm, thr- I'm putting the backpack yep. down this year. What should I get? And I'm like, all right, man, this is what you need to get: a coat with some good pockets. Like, you know, yeah. like, And that right there, like, and they're like, wait, no, not a bag at all. I'm like, okay, buy yourself a little bag then. Right. But then they do it when they finally make the leap and they do it. I see them the next year, and they're like, dude, it was night and day, man. Yep. I'm never going back. Look, it, I killed this buck. I moved three more times than I did last year. Yep. It's such a repeating story that I hear, and it's the same thing with the setup. It's the same thing with the hunting on the, on the height. It, it just takes a while. Some Somebody said this to me a long time ago, and this just came out of left field I'm thinking about, right? So if I asked you, when you take a shower, what do you do? What's the first thing you do when you get in the shower? May seem weird but well may mark what's turn the, the first
1: turn the water on No the
2: water's on you get into the shower you're you're what's the first thing you do
1: I sit there and daydream for like 5 minutes then, yeah, I, then, usually I, then I I wash think about my hair whatever I'm going to need to okay, do in the garage Okay that's what I was getting
2: now. at. First thing you do first order of business is you wash your hair If I told you start washing your hair last how long do you think it would take you to get comfortable with doing that? Like it would probably take a little, and it'd be just weird. And you would f it up the first few well, times. Well, I mean, in but it's one of those things where not that no, knowing no what I wash last, I, <laughs> I would always be uncomfortable yeah. doing that. Well, n- not not saying that that's gonna better you in your shower habits, but I'm just saying it's a change of something you're used to, right? Right. It's hard for you not to wash your hair first. It's hard for people not to want to take four sticks to get 25 feet. it. Yep. It's hard for people not to take the backpack when they have always had the backpack. If you ask, if I asked you, Mark, how many I wish we had your backpack here, because I'd oh ask you how God. much it wouldn't fit well, on the I, table. I would ask you, what did you actually use out of that backpack the last 10 hunts, right? I bet it's probably a very small amount of what's in that backpack. Un- unfortunately, not the kill kit.
0: Yeah. I like yeah. I like this podcast where Cody comes on and grills Mark with questions. This is a good <laughs> So this I is will a good say episode. I will of say
1: that. much of my backpack is empty space but I and this, so this is this is a question i was going to save for later but i'll ask now since we're on the topic it's because if i need to cut up a deer i don't want to like go back out for that first load or maybe i can get the whole deer i know eric you hauled a i thought was a massive bag of meat that you hauled out the Thank other you, Mark. Of, i mean that was an impressive uh <laughs> nice work seriously <laughs> <an> strong <impressive laughs> bag of meat strong like bull um <laughs> <laughs> but uh so that's that actually is why. So I like you know I've got some of my I got my kill kit, flashlight, some regular stuff, some snacks, I like a few snacks and uh <laughs> and water. Don't you like a lot of snacks. And water. So that water. doesn't seem like very much. It's a lot of it's a lot of empty space, yeah. Which two flashlights. I carry it would, back.
0: You never know it by how much the truck is full of your How stuff much do you have in your out. pockets?
1: Well, I keep one headlamp in my backpack and one in my pocket and then I got my bow rope. Release, I don't know, regular stuff. A couple snacks. Actually, I I always like to keep a couple snacks in my pocket. Keep the snacks warm. Because he, it like seems I like said, you never
0: the get... The never... thing is, that, is the fact that Mark's explaining this very minimalist sounding Man. kit. Yeah, it's very And minimal. yet, he can take up an entire six and a half foot bed <laughs> of a truck on the way out to this
2: hunt. A lot of exaggerating. Yeah. Anyway. It's, well, it's 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 a... What I'm getting at is is just it's a different way. And now I don't want to seem like one of those right. I'm sure we've always right. heard those crazy minimalistic people that are like, "Hey, throw away all your shirts. You only need one shirt." Like th- oh, that's right. that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm just I'm saying like you will be more efficient and more effective at the mobile hunting game with the less shit you have. And I just posed the question like I feel like a lot of people that ask, they're in the need of a change anyway. So, mm-hmm. and I think one of the biggest changes and one of the biggest things is I look at a season I'm not I don't hunt a couple times. I look at a season as a like a 3 to 4 month endeavor, a yep. grind, right? I know I'm smart enough to know that if I'm taking a freaking kafaru pack jammed with stuff out every day, am I going to last till January 15th? I'm not. I, there there's there's no way. And I'll admit it, I'm a, I'm I consider myself a pretty tough guy, pretty fit guy. I also know that the minimalist approach keeps me humming and it keeps me it's like it's there's, there's not, not much to worry about. It's like, it's, it's being effective for a purpose of longevity too, versus just, I'm always like, you know, I'm a person that, you know, typically runs late too, or I'm, I'm hopping in or I'm doing things last minute or whatever. This is in my, this setup right here is in my vehicle, sometimes riding shotgun, but it's always in the back. I can be out, especially like, you know, I don't worry to anything like that. I can be out hunting, so fast so lightning fast and i can be set up ready to kill even faster yeah and that's where a guy with whatever and it's just like oh do i have this do i have that do you need it no like even a, even like 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 my bow i know if i if i grab that bow and i grab that stand there's literally nothing to think about i can hunt anywhere i need to any situation i have everything i need can we can we discuss yeah not, i was gonna call it the elephant in the room but it's
0: actually it's more like the gazelle in the room, yep. can we discuss this? Because yeah. if you're watching on YouTube, you've been yeah. seeing this They're kit like, sitting right in front of sitting. us. So and it's beautiful. But if you're
2: listening, there's actually Cody's got his full-on kit right here. So this is yeah, this is my personal, uh, my personal setup. All the little detailed mods that I do to like the stand and sticks. Now this is one of the point fives at the De Cristo Series point five stands. So this stand right here is five and a half pounds alone. So it's very light, very streamlined. As you can see, it has the frame pack feature. So, this this is actually something newer that I've adapted for this year is the Bino harness. And this is a... I don't know which model this is here, guys, but it's a... UHD with uh UHD binocular harness. Oh, yeah, so, comes. this is the UHD harness, yep. right? So, um... Now, this I've been wearing on my person, but this has everything that I take into the into the timber with me right here. This is it. This is all.
0: Oh, you fit it all right in the bino yep, case? Yep, this is it.
2: Yep. So, this is my utility station. Now, I do have two. I have the two pair of binos. I got the UHD, the, the bigger 10 by 42s which I actually prefer, and people would argue, like, do you need that? Do you really need that? But I do like, in certain situations, I like the better glass. And if I'm not taking anything else, I will – a lot of times, I take those more than these little tiny guys. So – but anyway, this has everything right here. So, and I'll I'll actually take, I'll do this on the table and I'll take everything out of there. But I mean, this ain't more than probably a, a pound and a half. It's everything I need. Any, and what it, do you all have in that, Cody? I'm know, gonna I'm gonna go okay. through that in one second, and then this right here. It's important to know because I've gotten hit with this too. It's important to know that this stand though is also acting. In conjunction, like, if I'm taking extra clothes, this stand doubles the frame pack. This is locked up, the seat in that position. I run this bungee. I can throw a down coat on there Mm -hmm. that I know I'm not going to wear till later, or I can throw, like, and I'm pretty minimalist with clothes, too, like, uh, but anything additional that I don't have in my pack that would be big, or, like, let's say some guys argue, like, waiters, like, oh, I got to take waiters. Like, well, I, I would just strap them to the stand. Yeah. Literally, you got a nice bungee here. It's a frame pack. So that's that. These are my climbing sticks, Uh, my stand, everything in that. So that does help in a transport aspect. Yeah. Your
1: sticks just kind of integrate right into the stand there.
2: Yeah. The the, the sticks actually, um, they lock right into the stand with rubber grommets. There's these, uh, they also have, um, this is a J hook attachment. So this right here, I mean, your stick is never going to go anywhere. It's actually designed. So it, now I have some tape on these, but it cinches your stick down to your stand. You could you could drop this off a mountain and go pick it up, and it would never go anywhere. So this Is that just, a little... The
0: tape on the on the hooks there, is that like a little pro tip thing? Like, do you do that so you don't get the clanky metal
2: sound? Yeah, so I, I have a thing with tape. I do like... Uh, I mean,
0: I've always... I see tape uh, on a lot of things here, yep. and I'm realizing that it could help
2: mitigate some yep. sound. So one crucial thing, yes, like uh, with... I mean, yeah. If you actually look at this, you'll see tape everywhere. There's Yeah. There's, so, and now what I typically do is I'll I'll identify the contact points first and foremost. So, and if you haven't seen it, and this, yeah, this this is sort of like a product plug, but we we have this Silent Touch tape that's pretty sick. It's super thin. It's like a rubberized, grippy tape. It sticks to anything. It's awesome for silencing. I mean, it's it's all over this. Like these buckles are coated in the silent touch yeah. tape. You can feel that. It's just this so right silent. here. It's just, it's, I actually have a lot of people who buy it for their ARs and their firearms and stuff. Like the, just like for the grips and stuff. And just, um, but anyway, so yes, tape on the contact points. Um, so as you can see, like where this stick is hitting this stand, I just have a little bit of tape right there. Yep. I have, um, just where I see it fit so but this is designed to where okay so you have this on your back this I'm typically wearing on my chest or you could put it on the frame pack if you want but when I get to the stand I take this stand off my back one or when I get to the tree that I want to hunt in I take this off my back one time I disconnect my sticks you know so in these you don't have to use these you can rig your strap to to hold your stick down but these are just awesome because just in a couple turns you can pop that out this I double up my seat cushion because then I do this and I just slide these in here back here so that holds my hooks. So I don't have to have to worry about those. Yep. Okay, I, I was don't wanna... beginning to think that that was just excess, which which would go against was everything not, there. Yeah. The there's a purpose. There's there's a method to my madness, you know. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, so then you take that off, then you pop your stick off, right? So this is one of the Dequisto series climbing sticks. As you can see, it 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 folds compact, so it's ultra low profile. This is one of the 20 inch 8ers. So these are two sticks. I, a lot of times, both the deer I killed this year were one stick off the ground. I actually tucked this next to the tree one time, and then I hung it in the tree the other time. But these sticks are ready for use in a second. This is my systematic way to do the straps because I'm a buckle man. A lot of guys are going less. I was going to ask about and, that. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I, hands down, anybody who asks me, I go buckles all the way. There's not a quicker way. There's not a more sturdy way, stabi- yep. stable and I think there's there's to a point, this DIY thing has gotten a little out of hand. I mean, there's a point where it becomes counterproductive. Some of these people, it's taken them so long to put a stick on the tree just to get rid of the four ounces that this buckle weighs. It's just, it, it's counterproductive. So anyway, so yeah, you pop that, that's your aider, right? So I run this, Just I'll just pop this open just so you guys can see how I do this. But So yes, people would argue like, oh, that that's whatever. It doesn't take any time at all to do that. Yeah. So that right there, so now your stick is ready to to set up to the tree. Now it's in its mounting position, right? I mean, with a buckle, you go around the tree, back to this loop, take the slack out and step on it. Like, there's no fishing this, doing, you know. Right, right. It's just, it's way more efficient. And not to mention these are... So, but anyway, I get to the tree. I take these off one time. I put my first stick on on the ground. This is actually now a sneak peek of a product that I've been designing that I've been testing that nobody knows about. You heard it here on the Vortex Nation podcast. You did. But this is going to solve a lot of people's ascending problem. Boom. Soundboard. This is going to solve a lot of people's ascending problem. So this right here is an actual um, ascender bracket that I designed that goes on the side of your stand and pivots. Oh, gotcha. Oh, damn. So now when you're on your way up, you can reach out, you can reach over, take your stick out. Um, I've done something similar with the XOP sticks hmm. um, with the locking mechanism. Right. But now this works with yep. custom gear sticks, XOP nice. sticks, and you can actually buy buttons and fit any of your climbing sticks with them. So, But anyway, I'm one time up the tree. My stand is hung. My pack never leaves my body. It's very efficient. So diving in. So it's it's. I would argue, and I've said it a lot of times, and it's not because I, I firmly do believe – that a tree stand is the most crucial, like like that's, it's the most crucial piece of the puzzle, the most important part of the, the system for me, because that's what's getting to be my ambush point. That's what's allowing me, you know, to capitalize on those opportunities to get off the ground and whatnot. So so that's where this system comes into play. But now everything else I carry on a minimalistic basis, I'll show you here in this, uh, I'll show you the key items that I will always take out, yeah. what I'll leave behind. And this is actually, this is pretty, it's pretty heavy at the moment. Oh, this glass, this this vinyl harness pack here. <laughs> yeah, you'd think like, just, but that, that's oh, you got just the GoPro light on light. it. My goodness. Oh no, I didn't mean heavy as far as that goes. I yeah. mean it's still light. But so looking at this, right? So I would have to say, should I just take everything out? And put yeah, in the yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, so all right, so these are some key components. You gotta have a buff. Yep. You got. I mean that if you don't have that can't get in the gas station. Yeah. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I'll <laughs> for start the snacks out that I put in my backpack Jim. I just dated this podcast. Oh. And and like and like I said there are a couple things that I'll I'll section off to like I put them in here for the sake of the the podcast, but I would only take them if I was going like way out somewhere and I might not come back. Okay. So um so this is like the So you got a tent in there? Yes. It's a lean to. No, no. But, all right. So I'll just, yeah, I'll just bust all this stuff out. So, well, as you can see, first off, before I take it out, like, it's systematic. Like, I just, I have my trim saw right here so I can use it when I'm climbing. I have my gut knife right there. I have everything. My camera, this little guy, like, I'll just, I literally pop this off with a twist tie. I can wrap this around a limb. Like, this is how I've been filming this year. Anybody who's followed my story or anything like that or seen any of the kills was either filmed on this or I have actually my cell phone that has a little, uh, has a little lens on it or whatever, but so a set of binos, and those would either swap out to... Oh,
0: look at that. You know, you don't see enough people running the 32. I love that. HDs. Yeah. I've got a set of 32 Viber yep. HDs that I got back in the day. I missed out on the old 6x32, unfortunately. Gosh, that was a good Bino.
2: I feel like this is going to be like one of those those clown bags where it just keeps coming out, and you're like, damn, you had that much stuff in a Bino harness? It yeah. is. I'm already somewhat amazed. Yeah. This right here. uh, This is the little.
0: This is the snacks pouch, right? Yeah. Right. Nope. No snacks. Oh, Mark. Jeez, Louise. Mark sees now a critical flaw: zip ties. That's an important thing. I love zip ties. So never have too many. You're seeing
2: a lot of come out of this, aren't you? Yeah.
1: I mean, here's here's what I love that I'm seeing though, Jim: bungee cords, tape, zip ties, and twisty ties. All things. Cody's ready to. To
2: rule the world, Cody's ready if, to. Yeah, I don't know if you'd count. Work that. on but cars. That, so, th- so this is everything, right? Now, yeah, everything came uh, aside. Well, the, no, these are important too because I these have a use and not just for my I've luscious one locks. One <laughs> <laughs> they, they, have, there. they have a different. Um, got some of these little S hooks. Yeah. yeah. So, oh yeah, I'll take these off too because technically that would be a thing that
1: I carry, right? Those uh, were hair ties, by the way. A buddy of mine that I rifle hunted with this year pulled his ammo out of his pocket that was being held together by uh, two of his daughter's hair nice. ties. I thought that was pretty
2: funny. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so that's that. That's Okay, so that's everything emptied out of here. So I'll set this aside, which this is awesome, too, and I'll before I get into the gear, um, I've never used a bino harness before. Right. I really liked it. Like, it's just different. I always wrapped a tree stand belt and just rigged a little low-profile sling, and I always had it here, just had them there. And I'll, I mean, if I, uh, was like so in, in some pictures, like, you know, if I'm not running this on my chest, I'll always have these on my, across my chest. But what these are for, and how I rig this up, is I also set it up to where when I get to the tree, I shouldn't have took those off yet, when I get to the tree, if I want to, what I'll actually do is when all this is in there, oh, I got snagged. I got snagged. Uh-oh. All right. I got to just... I got I to gotta give a little... Uh, I got to show you what I'm talking about because this might get lost in translation, but... Demo time. But this is actually a, a pretty cool little thing that you can do if you want. When your stand is in the... Let me just get this stick It's off the there. cameras
0: and the headsets. Sometimes it just makes right? you do goofy I games. mean,
2: it's funny, though, but it's
1: like... I'm sure every time you get to the tree, like you, you got your process right. You set the stand down here, and then the second you like interrupt that process or whatever, like one thing, like it
2: just goes. So this is where I'll actually take and I'll rig my bino harness up to the seat with those little tiny clips. Yeah, Yeah. and when it falls down, it's still between my legs. I can grab my, I can grab my binos. I can work out of it when the seat is in the upright position. I can grab stuff out of it I need to. So that's why I have those little clips. And that's if I'm not. So, if you see me in videos and you're like, he didn't have the vinyl hunters on, it was on the seat of the stand. And I and that's why you'll see, like, binos around my around my body then. Um, so, with that being said, so we'll get rid of this. But this is everything that I have. The two things, or the, actually the one thing that I wouldn't have. I added this this year. I usually don't take this, and that's what the... I have some ties on my bow. Mm-hmm. And with the bow holder on the stand, like, I, I... Gotcha. I don't think this has ever been used, actually. I've probably never even seen a tree. But so It's like
1: just like a screw-in Yeah, this is just, just a screw-in
2: just in case I needed something, which I don't even know why it's in there. It's probably going to ne- never be in there again. So, and this right here is something that I learned the hard way. Like, in those hills, like, out all day, your phone's searching for reception or something like that. If you need, If you're using your phone as a GPS device, I would just... I tossed this in there to... Just because my phone died on me one night and I was like five miles back in, yeah. and it was like a black night. And I was for a minute, I was like, All right, I'm gonna have to crash here. That's so, like a flashlight
0: it, size battery pack,
2: yeah, it's just a, like a little charger, like so yeah. it'll just juice your phone up. Like, if, if your phone's gone, but like these would be two or this would be an item that I would only take. Like I don't take this, I don't have this in my pack every day, right? The essentials I would say for sure are well, everything here, your knife. Tow rope, binos, tag. You need your tag. You got to be legal. Got a little vortex cloth in there just in case. I, I, don't, I mean, it, it fits in there. So yep. This uh, wind bottle. I'll go through every one of these too. A saw. Can I? See, can you open that saw? I like. Yes, that. I can. I haven't seen that saw before. It's just a cheap. I don't even know who makes it. Oh, really? It, but I got it covered. It's it's really sa- small. Even the
1: saw is wrapped in
2: the yeah. tape. Yep, everything, man. And this one, this has seen its share of abuse. Saw, this is just a battery for that camera in case I need it. And these are batteries for this badass black diamond headlamp. Anybody's looking to get a headlamp, black diamond. And I never, I was a big person for years that no lights. I just didn't, I had really good night eyes, never needed a lights or whatever until I got stuck out in the timber one time and it was really dark. So I was like, all right, we need a headlamp. And then, you know, got, I was gutting a deer after hours once trying to use my phone. Like just like after recovery, like just, Get yourself a headlamp, like it's not that much, or, or even a little handheld flash that I used to hold. I used to have one this big that I, I kept in my mouth. It just gets to be a pain in the ass. You ever yeah. see?
0: Uh, you ever see this one? You'd like that. They're tiny. Dude,
2: yeah, that's pretty sweet. And you then clip, you could clip that on you anything. Clip it right on the bill of your. Uh, oh hat, hell yeah! And then it becomes a headlamp. Dude, that would be sick. I might have to. I might have to look into those. And then I just got batteries for that, which those are three little batteries. Uh, zip ties. I mean mostly like zip zip ties and the hair ties are typically used to put the tag on the animal mm-hmm. or like i guess if just any rent i mean hair ties and zip ties are just good to have and they do just they're, come in handy. Yeah, they're no weight these are the little clips that would hook the the pack onto my stand and then this it comes and goes i actually don't i probably only use this twice this year but I do hunt a lot of super close quarter situations, and if yeah. I get in a position where, like, I know the first thing my is my face that they're going to see, and that's where the stand has to be, I'll put this on. I will put this on my cheeks. So yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of go through them now. I so about, I
0: thought that was for like um, stamps at first. Now I know yeah, it's so just it's like just, this paint. is
2: just like a, a it's just a face paint thing, and right. I'll just do the cheeks. Like if I need to, I probably use this. Both the deer I killed this year were very close quarters, and I didn't even use this. But there has been some situations where like I'll be on a pinch, and in the trail will literally be coming up, and I'll be point blank, right. and like they are gonna like it's gonna be eye to eye contact as soon as they as soon as they pop up. So, this uh, binos, um, I never years ago I never used to carry glass ever. Like I just didn't, and in the last like four or five years. It's become something that like has to come with me. I got to have some, I mean, you know, and before I was using better cameras too. I was more into like the filming aspect, So I could always zoom if I needed to see something or whatever. But a a good set of binos. These are sweet because they're like tiny, but I do like those. Those UHDs are are probably, I I might, I use those way more this year than I did these. And the only thing, the only thing that keeps me gravitating back toward these is the UHDs pop out of that harness a little bit too much like but that's that's it trim saw I mean like I use this probably every single time I I hang a stand I would say and it's just handy to have some sort of a saw if you don't I mean whether or not you need to trim something this big that digs into your pack or or just clear a limb or anything because I don't do the whole trim saw thing I used to I'm hunting close quarters. I typically don't have to trim anything. I'm just, I'm, I'm setting up my stands in the trees, how I can have the, how I can have the lanes. Yep. But if I do need to trim something, I have a saw and it's on my chest, ready to rock. This, this, this bastard, um, <laughs> this isn't, this is, this is probably one of the, actually it's not as crucial as it used to be because of my handy dandy rig I got right. in there that I can, but this is a tow rope. It's just a retractable tow rope that some guys use just paracord, this I always have. Uh, it integrates perfectly with that new uh, little accessory I designed. It locks right into your stand. So when I get to the tree, it's one time up. It's, yep. I, I link my bow to this, and I have my stand on my back. I have the stick to my side. I have my pack on me. I'm up the tree one time. I never have to come back down. When I get up there and I get situated, I just pull my bow up, and that's it. So And it never gets tangled. never have to mess with it. A knife... A good knife like that, I think this is definitely one of the key key items. This one is actually, it's a knife by uh, Iron Will makes it. It's uh, He actually, Bill from Iron Will actually did this one custom for me. It's got the wolf head on there. Oh, sweet. But it's a pretty knife. It's, yeah, it's pretty sweet. Like before this one, he's now doing these fancy handles, but the one I had before was a standard pack knife with paracord on it. Uh, but it's very light. It's super sharp. And... It's just an awesome. I mean, it, gutting, skinning, all that stuff. Because I do that stuff typically out in the field too. But you can, you guys can check that out. Yeah, Mark, um, you know what we're, you sweet. know what we're seeing, Mark. We're seeing. It's funny we discussed this before. Lightweight Dave.
0: Yeah. He goes. Uh, he goes out west, and he's. This is basically like the whitetail version of what he takes out west. And then when he comes back to the Midwest, he basically brings out his PRS rig. He's got a blind. <laughs> he's got all the heavy stuff. He doesn't like lightweight. Just doesn't care anymore we're seeing we're seeing now the lightweight Dave version of like if he actually did what he does out west in the Midwest I, I, well, that's in, in that right here.
2: there is so up until this knife um, I've prop I've had a a buck knife mm-hmm. that literally I've had since I was 13 yep. that skinned every single yep. deer that I've ever shot. And I messed up the blade or whatever and it just so happened, like, you know, Bill started doing knives and now I've switched over to this knife and this that knife right there's got two under its belt already. So I mean it's 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 just an awesome knife. I mean, I probably but anyway, a knife is you need a knife for sure. Uh, so that would be that Man, item. That is. I Most like, definitely. I like um uh, yeah, this was the the double bevel there. I like the shape of the blade. Yeah.
1: And like that's super tactile on top too. Like it's like Yeah
2: going to, so this right here, I think we talked about this. This is just a, it's a Joby. You wouldn't need this. I mean, I guess if a guy wanted to rig one of those camera things onto himself, but this is one thing, like when I get real, like late season, when it's really close quarters and it's getting down to the wire and it's just, it it's, it's harder to get away with things. Like a lot of times I won't even film anymore. Like this year, I hardly did any filming late season. Cause it was just so tough, man. The day we're on edge. It was cold batteries would die like crazy so i didn't even have this and this is probably the biggest heaviest thing in this setup so like when you get rid of this but this is nice with the Joby head because whether you have a limb or you can rig this you can rig this onto your bow stabilizer you can rig it onto a tree limb you can rig it onto the seat of your stand you can do anything with this little flexible arm so it's pretty cool you can always at least set up an angle with that so that would be for like filming if you're gonna capture that stuff this this bad boy this is a very important thing that I never go into the timber without. A lot of people look at it and they think, like, it's probably not that good of a—it's it's everything. So I'm a big believer, um, and I know it to be true, that, like—and we can get into scent. I could go for hours on scent and scent control and how much of a bullsh** <laughs> philosophy that is. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, anyway, Cody, the, the, the nice <laughs>
0: thing was I really don't think anybody had any qualms with anything you said. Yeah. And then sparring, all of a sudden it just, and that boom. one really though might've put you over.
2: So, so right, so right now I love, I love sparking up the controversy. So yep. it ain't about scent. It's about if the deer can smell you because I don't care what you do, they're going to smell you. Yeah. They will smell you if you are not playing the wind. So if you are a guy who's hunting and has been killing deer and never thinking about the wind, you've been getting lucky. Yep. And if you're a guy who's not killing deer and not thinking about the wind, that is what you need to start doing, and you need to pay attention to that every time you're hunting because not only do you need to know what's going on with the ground, but knowing the wind direction, what it's doing is, is the most beneficial because that's the only way to beat their noses. It is the only way. You can wash with that, sh- that whatever you want to get. You can. <laughs> I've said this a lot of times. I knew a guy who buried his clothes literally buried them in the ground. Like just, you can do all you want and that's fine. You can have your rituals, but this right here is, it it tells you where the wind goes, right? So this is a, it's another product that we offer. It's like nine bucks. It's just a little, it's a little case, right? So what's awesome about this though, is when you think about wind direction, you think about stand setups. Now I use this every single time I set a stand, which is at least two times a day. And then maybe even when I'm in that stand sometimes to make sure they're going right. But It has two compartments. So it's a wind indicator. So this will tell you which way the wind's going, right? It has a top component that you can can load powder in. You could grab dirt in there. You could do cornstarch. You can do baby powder. You can do whatever the hell you want. Anything that'll puff out of there and make a nice stream to show you where the wind's blowing, and that has a cap that pops off. We're the only wind indicator, too, though, that has this. So a big thing that's popular... It seems to be more popular in Midwest because Milk Midwest weed. seems to be where the milkweed grows. But you can put cotton balls in there. This right here is a compartment that you can house.
1: Oh, that's awesome! Milkweed, that's sweet.
2: So, in that, so area one, area two. The biggest part too is this has a compass on it. I know it's, a lot of you guys think my phone's got a compass. This has a compass. I know what direction it is. You probably, I you probably don't know what direction it is really. I mean there's so many times there's so many times I pull this out and even the phones man yeah they're sketchy sometimes I mean I, so many times I pull this out and I thought north was that way and it's ju- and it's not it's this way like you know so having this compass right there to see which way you're yep. actually facing and then see what the wind is doing for that actual direction is is so inval- invaluable like it's just that's what you have to do so and thermals too, so like uh, you got you got your typical your typical spray will give you give you a direct wind uh, direction right off the bat. You'll yep. see like where strong winds are going, but they'll they'll fizzle down. If you drop one of these bad boys, even on the calmest day, look at that little oh, no. so, milkweed. You yeah. will see what that thermals are doing, and you'll be able to play that. So at any point in day, you can drop that. You can you have that on your side. But this, I rig a little uh, uh, retractor on there. And it's not a lot of weight at all, and it's just it's always on the bino harness or on the stand. I mean, yeah, you can just see how crazy that stuff right. is. So any you
0: can't help but just Yeah. You did this. You brought it out and now <laughs> we're all It's like a lava lamp.
2: Yeah, well I mean it's just it's <laughs> you want to know what's going on and what your scent is actually doing. That yep. right there is, yep. is what you need. So um our scent is all going towards you, Mark. I know. Yeah. That's why you can what uh, what track's like. <laughs> that actually concludes, like,
3: the, yeah. it's not much, oh, and the buff. H- how often does this change? Like, how long have you been rocking this exact, uh, obviously, other than the bino harness? Like, you touched on that, but... Yeah,
2: uh, and before the bino harness, like, um, th- I had a very small fanny pack, and for a time I had, like, this tiny little, like, sling military. It almost looked like a little tiny tactical yeah. pack. I had that, uh, and then I've ha- I've tried pockets, but my my setup has been... All of these things for a long time, and I think it's it's a it's a minus th- like the GoPro's new, like but mm-hmm. that would change with a phone. Yep. And when I did do a lot more, when I did actually film, I was looking to like do episodes and filming with a good camera. Yeah. I used a, I actually have that here. I had a smaller, smaller handy cam or like a um, nothing too big because I still wanted to stay light, still wanted to stay portable. But this arm, and I've been hunting with a version of this arm back for, I, I think I probably hunted it with it for like, let's see, six, I don't know, like seven or eight years or something. And we never we never came out with this. I mean, back in the day, it was like, Dad and I, we actually rigged up these, these camera arms like this that were very small, very lightweight. Uh, now, they weren't cut out of the cool material to match the stand and stuff back then, but For a guy who's looking to take it, like doing YouTube videos, doing, going to the next step and they look at this like, oh, well, you got no filming gear in there. Well, this is a great opportunity or it's a great addition that you can take. And this, I would strap, even when I took this, I would strap it right to the seat or I would actually, there are these, there's rubber tie downs that have holes in them that you can get at like Lowe's and it's almost like a collar, right? So you can, and I would put those on the stand and then you could literally lay this on the stand, take one at the other oh, end and yeah. pull it through yep. the other side. Yep. I know what you're And it's talking like, about. it's like perfectly on the stand. You don't need to take a backpack. Cause for a while I tried the backpack thing and I would put this in a backpack Then I have a giant empty backpack with like, I'm utilizing one pocket and this, and I'm like, what? The-? And then I got this big ass bag. So, right. <laughs> but, but yeah, so this would be in addition to that, this is a three section. Uh, this right here is a cool little head that, Joby makes too. I'm not. I'm not a Joby guy either. I know there's been a lot of Joby stuff in here, but I mean, if you're just trying to get like nowadays with the phones, like dude, you can get some badass stuff with your phone. So you can you do can. some cool pans and stuff. If a guy wants to be minimalistic with that, this is a little head. But you can also rig a full DSLR on there too. You know, right. and if you have a, it doesn't have to be a duffel bag. You can no. have a small, cool little day pack that you can slide this in and do some yep. filming with. Or
1: I mean, compared to some, that is
3: an itty-bitty camera arm
1: oh dude.
2: Yeah, yeah yeah absolutely it, and, and even the
3: bow too like we don't need to get into everything that you have on the bow but i, I think how often does the bow change like you, it sounds like you're not changing arrows your sight no. you've been using that so wait,
0: sight which for is forever. this uh, uh, did you say you shoot trad
2: no no and it, which is uh, okay. which is actually funny because i did hunt with a longbow uh i think it was Everybody asks, they hear my, like literally everybody I talk to, they're like, oh, you, you got to be hunting traditional, right? And because they, they hear about like the, or they and see the super
0: minimalist and you super got close excess. quarters, yeah. you know, right. they're like,
2: dude. And one of my buddies actually one year, uh, I, I had just killed a deer and I was going to a different state and he was trying out the, the traditional bows and he was like, he's like, dude, why don't you hunt with a, with a recurve? He's like, you have you always shoot deer so close. He's like, you've never shot a deer over 20 yards. He's like, you need to be hunting with a recurve. And I'm like, that's a damn good question. I was like, why don't I hunt with a recurve? Yeah. And then I, I met up with him and he was like, and I had, I haven't shot a recurve since like, I was like, you know, I don't even know, I remember the time, but I was like, all right, let me see it, whatever. And I remember pulling it back and I shoot sort of instinctive. We talked about that. Like right. even with the compound, I don't aim. I don't have, I don't have a uh, peep sights. I just, I just have one kisser one anchor and I don't fricking use any back tension. I don't do nothing. I just let her fly. Like that's how I hunt. It's always, so I took a shot with his recurve and I just drilled the bullseye and I'm like, I took another shot and just drilled it. And he's like, What? how are you doing that? And I, and this was like at like 15 yards or whatever. Yeah. And I, I stepped it back and I was just hammering them in there. And I was just like, man, you know, maybe I should hunt with this damn thing, you know? So I actually went out with it and this is a quick, funny story, but so literally that day, I was like, all right, I just tossed my compound aside. And I'm like, can I borrow your bow? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. He was done with his hunt. So I finished out the season. And there wasn't much time in the season left. It was maybe like two weeks. But I finished out the season. and I'm like, I'm going to get one with the longbow. And I remember I uh, late season, it was getting really cold and frigid. And the biggest adaption to the longbow was just knowing the parameters. And now I, I'd imagine it'd be different with a recurve, but... Like, I was just jazzed about, the, like, the, the primitive aspect of it and, like, the, oh, like, I don't need to worry about anything, man. It's a stick and a string. Like, you know, that's it. Right. You know, just whatever. Don't overthink it. It was, like, lighter. It was cool. You know, whatever. So, but the biggest thing was in the elevated position in a tree stand and I hunt a lot of cover. It was knowing the parameters of that long, like, yeah. what I could do, where I could move yeah. it. Yeah, And I got into some deer late season. uh They were actually hitting some honey locust pods. It was getting frigidly cold and I, I got... I, I narrowed down a trail and there was a good buck, like, you know, probably upper sixties. And I remember calling my buddy. I'm like, I, I got him nailed down tonight. I'm going in with the recurve. I'm setting the stand. I got to stand him. And he's like, dude, he's like, just take your compound in there. He's like, you'll smoke him. Like no questions asked. I'm like, no dude, I'm I'm going to get him with the recurve. Like I'm or with the longbow. I'm like, no. So I went in there that night, set up, everything got, you know, and just like I typically do, I set up in my typical fashion. I'm seated. I'm ready. He's coming in. He ended up, the deer ended up spooking a little bit. I don't know if I made a move, but the trail came in at 12 yards, It's as close as I could get to the trail. And I was confident with that. I was like, 12 yards, game over. Well, something spooked, something got my wind, and he stopped before he actually hit the main intersection. He was looking around, and I kind of rushed it probably, but he was probably uh, 16, 17 yards, right? And just dead to rights, you know, just standing there looking, what's going on. right. I'm like, oh, game over. So I come and, like, about three inches before I hit my mouth, I like, I, I couldn't draw anymore. And I'm like, what? So immediately I panicked. I'm like, what is happening? And I looked. The limb was hitting a cedar branch. And I, I never, like, mock Drew. A lot of times I'll yeah. do that too. I'll set up and just make sure I have the right. But yeah. I hit this limb and I'm like, and instead of letting down, scooting forward, getting my composure and going through the shot process, I just, like, I tried to lean forward and get the full draw and let it go. And I shaved his belly hair off at like 16 yards and, uh. and he ran off and I'm like, Oh man. Yeah. And, yeah. um, but it was, dude, I, it was jacked up. But, and then, then I called him like, yeah, I missed him. And he's like, God, he, like, you should have took, he's like, take your compound in there. Like, and, and you know, and I'm, and I probably could have took my compound bow in there and shot him. I had like five days left, but I, I stuck at it with the, with the longbow really trying to make it happen. And I never did. But it was awesome. And I I've, I've been really thinking about you yeah. dig
0: there's uh the bow I got. I got from these guys. I want to say the name is Tolki Archery in Montana. And they have uh I got the it's it's less and less forgiving the smaller you go. But I got their midsize, and my brother who is lightweight Dave, uh he got obviously the <laughs> smallest one. It's yeah. like it's <laughs> called the it's called the pika and when it's fully assembled it looks like a toy bow, but it's oh. a freaking hammer is it? yeah is it a compound or a recurve it's a uh it's a recurve well it's oh. kind of like uh it? it's weird because when you when you string it it looks like a it doesn't have like the the Cur- recurve yes. to yeah. it but then when you when you let it rest it then looks like a recurve yep. if you will okay so somebody no, who's actually like super into trad bow is like that idiot is probably <laughs> explaining it wrong <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah yeah i am probably yeah. an idiot i shoot one though and i think it's fun so <laughs> yeah
2: dude it is it is a blast like i don't enjoy I don't shoot my bow. Right. But with the recurve, it was like, oh, this is cool. Like, just shooting arrows with the recurve is fun. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I'll grab that so you can see it. There are definitely a few mods on there. We should even hit uh, stand height, too. That's another thing we should get into. I mean, I've got
1: like an entire different, uh, a whole other podcast that we can do with this bullet point of question. One thing that I think is cool about that story, though, is like you're obviously like way experienced, way successful, like, you know, a hunting machine. Like, you've got it dialed. But you're still looking to challenge yourself right. and, and
2: learn new things and, you know, round out your out, outdoorsmanship. And, like, I, and dude, I, I'm, I'm completely like, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's, I'm a businessman in a sense. And, like, I, I know, I see these ideas and I see the industry and I see these things and I'm like, oh, that's an awesome idea. It's just a killer idea. It's going to make a lot of money. But then I look at it as a hunter and me personally, like, it's where like I try and separate my I don't like where the industry is going. I don't like that there's like people are riddling cell cameras on properties like they're government buildings, like under surveillance. <laughs> I don't like that there's sites that aim for you. I mean, like it's like I said, it's a badass idea, and it was really cool on a marketing standpoint. Like you're taking the you're taking a lot of the work out of shooting a bow, but. To me, it's taking out what is this sport that I love and what I've been yeah. doing. So that's what gear. That's what gravitates me a lot toward the traditional, and like really makes me want to leap into that. Like, it's just because like, man, those go. Like my hats off to those guys who are consistently killing them with the recurve. Like it's just, it's as like primal as you can get, man. Right. It's like it's just it, there's something about it, man. It just it gives you goosebumps. And as you can see, like I told you, like a buddy of mine actually gave me this site and it's one of those badass sights. And this was this was actually the year that I told you I, oh, I shot my bow a little bit this summer. Right. Like, I, so I, I shot 3D archery one time in my life, and I went there with. And that's actually he gave me this sight after that after that trip. He's like, "Hey, get this. If you shoot more 3D, you can at least adjust your sight." So I've never moved this from from 20 yards, but and that's just a, I don't even know if that tape will work. I never sighted it in at 60, but I just, whatever. Anyway, so that, that might look a little technical to some people, and it's kind of heavy, but this is the bow that I shoot. This is a, uh, it's the Lobo edition of, um, Darton makes it, and it's got these uh, these grommets that you can insert in there, so you can change, like, throughout the season, we got, there's like green, so early season, you can toss some green ones in there. This is, these are kind of like dingy, uh, white, like, for late season, snow, um, got like coyote tan ones that really work for like corn and stuff. So it, it's kind of a cool, they really help dampen the bow too. Right. Like on a, those are all dampeners. They're all rubber. Um, yeah. something different on here. Like I'm a fan of this, this tight spot quiver. Uh, I've always used a three arrow quiver, nothing more than that. Um, never really needed. Yeah, it's uh it's
0: three. You yep. can get more.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. I don't get it. This, uh, I, the, I do have a phobia of not having enough ammo. This is my bloody arrow. But that's that these are the new heads I've been shooting. That's the Iron Will wide series. Um yep. just a wicked head. You can see like it's been it's been beat up. It's ran yep. through two deer. And this was the one I was trying to put a third one on it, but it's I don't even clean the arrow. I don't, you don't need to. It's just don't don't need to clean the broadhead, don't need to clean the arrow. They're not worried about a tetanus shot after that goes it's, through. Them. It's gonna <laughs> it's gonna do what it's gonna do. And I, I leave this on my bow. A lot yeah. of people take their quivers off. Yep. I never take them off. I just it's always on there. This is one huge thing that I've always done, and I will always do, unless I'm shooting like trad or something, which my release stays with my bow. It yeah. stays with it. It stays on the strings. And back in the day when Wisconsin required a case law, this actually covered you as having a case on your bow. No way. Because it incapacitated your, yeah. your strings. Yep. Because you can't draw it. It's, it's, a, it's a fixed... Right. So I always had this on my bow. You like you're, you know, even if you didn't slide it in your case, if you were shooting in the backyard, or like there was a lot of times where I would hop in my vehicle after school, yep, drive to a, a, a piece of property. This would be in the back seat, and I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't wasn't casing it, wasn't doing this. So I'd always have this on there. But you'll never forget your release if it's on your bow. Yep. I mean, that's I have never once. I'm gonna knock on wood right now, but I've never <laughs> once, I've never once forgot a release. Yeah. But. Um, I like it, too, though, because, like, being that I did come up shooting fingers, if I do forget that, I can shoot this bow fingers with one anchor point, and I got no problem. Yeah,
1: you were talking about that earlier. I mean, you've got – Yeah, I mean, th- this whole – your whole setup, your gear, your philosophy, the way you pr- – I mean, it's just simplicity,
2: and and it comes down to your bow. setup. like, you don't even have a peep on your bow, you know? Nope. I mean, and the one thing – that cost me a giant that I'm probably going that this bow will change is this this thing flippy, it, it's the same flippy it's the doodad. same thing with like the broadheads why I've always shot fixed broadheads never shot a mechanical never even tried it yep that idea that something could go wrong I don't even want to take that chance right it's just like even the tree stand setup like there's nothing I can't get in with that setup there's nothing I can't handle with this it's the minimal approach it's whatever I need right this can malfunction and now i used to shoot feathers i've shot feathers up until last year always Hmm. always had a four inch feather on my And up until like last year when i got veins or it might have been the year before but last year i had an issue i i strung up this rest by myself and i put i don't know anything about bows i'm not a bow tech at all but i know i always just i know what 90 is and I know, like, just, that's all I ever needed, you know? It's like, okay, 20 yards, I'm hitting the bullseye. I strung it up way up here on the string or on the bus cable or whatever, yep. and apparently that's not how you're supposed to do it. You want these things way, way to hell down there. Right. So it's more of an angle. Well, overthinking, I'm like, a buddy of mine I was like, dude, that's way too, you got to move that down, it's way too close. I moved it, like, five days later, I reached for my bow in the stand, and my, this string was like this, or it was like, this oh, is. Oh, yeah. Dude, this string was like this, and I grabbed my bow like this, and I came and I, I felt a little tension, but I just ripped that freaking thing right out of there. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll smoke him. Like there, there's like even if the rest doesn't drop off, I knew what happened, but it was that was the opportunity. Six yards, got it all on film. It's it was a horror. I cried. Well, I didn't cry, but I wanted to cry. But ripped it out there. Just I'm thinking like, all right, I could just shoot right through the rest, you know? Right. Because it was you know fully up. I, it, the arrow nose dive I missed him by like two feet
1: now that if, is interesting I would have kind of assumed that it like might just kind of work like
2: a two-prong not rest. no not with veins if I would have had feathers on he'd yeah. have been smoked yep but these veins it ain't gonna happen but that little thing is in my mind constantly now that okay this thing can mess up I've had these things not drop I've had them not drop I've had them and I've used a QAD for years this is a a Virtus it's awesome it, it's good but I will be switching this year to some sort of fixed rest that does not move. I, that's just that's one thing that I will change about this. But other than that, uh, aside from like if I were to get like a uh, do the trad thing, but uh, other than that, like I get a lot of questions about this. They're was, like, "What is that I was gonna thing going your say where,
1: where does the guy pick up that sling?"
2: This is this is a homemade uh, uh, thing right here. So I I got this rope at, and I actually have a green rope, and that's just probably but I when I had green grommets in, I had a green rope and I put this one in for late season when it was whatever, but it's just a piece of rope. I got at a hardware store and what I do is it's just a, it's just, I I laced it right through. Any bow has a riser or something, but this is awesome because when I'm on long hikes, I sling this thing over my shoulder instead of carrying it. And I actually have on my stand, there's like a little knotted up piece of rope that looks stupid, but there's a purpose for it. It holds this on my shoulder so it's like this oh, little yeah. oh, knotted yeah. up piece of rope that's sitting on my backpack strap. This pops over it, and it never goes anywhere. And then if I need to, if I'm hopping down or hopping up, or I already have a stand set, I can sling this over my back, climb up the tree with it. Or right. if I ever happen to lose this or something, so that's what this is for. And then this, these, this little bad boy right here is a is just a um a gear a flexible gear tie. Which these things are pretty cool. But I I, uh, I call this the possum tail, TM. No, it's a, it's a, it's uh so I'll just, I'll ring, I'll rig that over like a limb. Yep. If I need a bow holder that's outside of my tree stand one, like if yeah. my, if my setup calls for like needing the bow right here, I'll try and rig a limb up to it or something or, so that's another thing. So that.
1: you leave that on, like, is that wrapped around the yeah. limb when yep. you draw
2: and everything? Still? Yeah, this is always there. It wow. never leaves. You'd probably... Th- It'll never work, Mark. A lot of a lot of people <laughs> would be like... It's making me nervous. See, a lot of people would be yeah. like, oh, that's got to mess up your shot. It's got to mess up
3: the... the... Dude. But it, that gets back to that top pin distance. They're 20 yards in.
2: Yeah. That's yeah. not... You that know, I mean, whatever that's doing is is going to be... I, I, for what? I don't think it even would do right. anything on a long-range shot. But if it was doing anything, it wouldn't be doing jack. Yeah. Well, I guess also well, if, you if you it's never there shoot, all the time. Yeah, if you never shoot yeah. without it's, it right exactly all the time it's like
1: you know i put my i don't take my quiver off my bow either like exactly
2: but and that's where and then i just yeah this stabilizer which is was more so a just a re a way to get this on there Uh, oh yeah not really for the the fact of needing a stabilizer but like yeah so this can pop on there if i want but other than that that's the right that's the bow yeah that's my kisser button purple it's got to be purple naturally <laughs> oh i was waiting for like a really big explanation but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, just, I just like purple <laughs> yeah. when i got him there was like i was like man there's more uh well dude it's i get for this too but like before even this bow i shot i had an obsession for like one for like half a year and i, uh, I smoked a pretty good deer with it but like that's where people ask me they're like oh oh i get a bow question i look like an idiot like they're like oh what is that What's the what's the IBO of that thing or whatever? I'm just like, dude, I I don't know, but I just to give you context for oh my god, like twelve, thirteen years or whatever, just to, up until like maybe the past four or five years, I've shot a old free flight release that was like a full hand wrap with the the mechanism like this that grabbed the string. Yep, no string loop, just a kisser button, and then it was a darton. It was an old original, like a two thousand four Darton like platform. So yep. like, I mean, it was and it was that forever. I mean, the thing was probably shooting like one hundred and ninety feet per second. Like I'd have been better off with a recurve. Like it was just an old dated nowadays, dude. These things are just like they're right. cranking. But I just never put any sort of mind into the into the bow because I wasn't I wasn't in it for in it for archery. I was in it for the hunt. You know,
1: that's super cool. Yeah, I mean, I think you're look, looking at your kit and your approach and just that, that minimalist, and, it, and really, I mean, it's actually really refreshing. You know what I mean? Like, it's refreshing to kind of look, have that outlook, and it's like you're getting so close, right? You're like, well, I don't, I don't need a bow that I can shoot 100 yards because I'm going to shoot these deer at 5 yards, right? right. And, I, and I think it's also refreshing on the outlook. Like, if you're a new hunter, like, all this gear could be potentially, like, overwhelming.
3: Oh, yeah. and, and I'm not saying or, it's easy or expensive. Or, or if you're an older dude yeah. that you're trying to get a little bit more life out of your, your back, this oh, yeah. weighs five pounds yeah. versus putting yeah. 35, 40 pounds on your back.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, we were talking before the podcast. like you, you chatting with some guys that are like, oh, man, this is like, like, dude, I almost got emotional. You're, like, you're, you're talking to people that are able to get back in the game yeah. because dude, of this. It was
2: an eye-opener for me because I didn't look at it like that. I just looked at it as like, hey this is lighter than anything out there. It packs down lighter than anything. It has a perceived weight that's even 10 times even lighter than it is because of the yep. way it integrates and stacks and what else is out there. Yep. And I was just like, it's going to be awesome for these, these in-shape diehard guys who want to go hard. Like that's what it was about. And then, like I told you like that story, like I was at, I was at a show and an old timer came up, and I, I didn't know if he was looking at the stand for his his grandson or whatever. But like we got to talking, and he's asking me, he's grilling me about the stand. He's, hey, is that really five pounds? Is whatever? I'm like, well, let me take it off the tree. I'll throw it on your back. Like, yeah, you can feel it. And then he was so jazzed up. He, what? And I didn't think about it, but he's like, this is going to get me back into tree stand hunting. I haven't been able to tree stand hunt for seven years, you know, because I and when my back went out, whatever. And and I I've been hunting. And this is Pennsylvania, so there's like deep-seated hunting roots. And he's like, right. I've been tree stand hunting for whitetail for. And this guy was old. He's like, since I was twelve, like you, you know, and I have him And he's like, this is going to get me back into it. He's like, I seen that video you did. You're only using a couple sticks. He's like, you said your setup was only eight pounds. He's like, this is finally something I can carry. And I was like, oh yeah, and I got like I got I got tinkled up from it. I'm like, oh my god, I'm like that's awesome. Like I never thought about it like that. Yeah. yeah. And there's been a lot of people like that. That it's just. It's just enough for them to get in an elevated position. They can get out there. They can keep that. They're not looking to – they just want to do – they want to do what they've always done. Like you said, yeah. it's, well, it's in their life.
0: Did I hear you're not even getting up that high in a tree?
2: Yep, yep, no. And that's and that's become – it's become something now to this standpoint to where, like, it's like a goal for myself. It started out with, like, uh, opportunistic, right? So, like, if a, if a low setup was there, like – I think there was only a brief amount of time where I literally fell into the trap of being high. And most of the time that came from like identifying a structure that was way high up in a tree that yeah. I would just tell myself like, oh, you got to get way up there. You know, and you do hear stuff like that. and um, But when I started not thinking of that aspect and I started going toward not even more so cover, but I think there was a couple times – I'm trying to think of back when it actually started – something happened. And it was, it was one of these opportunities where I was able to, I didn't have any other time. I had to slip into a tree and I wasn't high at all. And I was maybe even doubting the setup, like, because I was that low and it worked out good for me. And then I, and this was years and years and years ago. And then I started, uh, you know, kind of adapting that philosophy and like, and I started to realize like, dude, you don't have to be high. You don't have to be high. Then I, you know, to prove it to myself, just like the no camel thing. It's like, well, I started intentionally hunting low and I was like all right I'm gonna see like I ain't gonna t- you know I'm not gonna say anything about this I want to see I want to really see because I want to know I want to be the most effective and I've always and that's one thing that people try and I've always only taken two sticks I've always been a two-stick guy even when I was getting 20 feet and people are like how are you doing that like I would just make it happen I would yeah. literally, I, I'm a pretty I'm a pretty in shape dude like so I would if I needed to I would I'd hang that first one as high as I could. I'd bear crawl up, hang the next one. I'd get to a limb like that's how I did it. But I never wanted to take more than two sticks. That was just I wanted to be more lightweight. Yep. Well, then when I started realizing like I didn't have to do that, and I was I started purposely hunting low, and I started killing deer, and killing deer, and killing more deer. And then I'm like, this is this is the t-. like. I and then I started looking at old setups, and I'm like, why was I ever even going right. that high? I started to look at the timber differently. I started to utilize different things to my advantage, like backdrops and you know, you can silhouette yourself very easy being high. You can mess up your shot angles, you can it takes you longer to set up. It's sketchier. Like I, I don't like heights. I don't like being twenty feet up in a little tree stand. Yeah. Like I just everything about it was pointing toward low hunting. Then I almost kind of challenged myself. It became this this internal thing of like, Okay, well how low can I kill one? Like, you know, aside from being on the ground, like how low, and not only how low, but it became, like, what has always tripped my trigger was being close. Like, I want to get yeah. as close as I humanly possibly can to these deer. It's just a different feeling, man. Like, if, if, you've tree, if you're have if you a guy who's tree stand hunted and you've seen deer out in a field browsing around or you've seen deer, whatever, or even if you're 20 feet up in a ladder stand and something comes close, something comes under you, right under you, it's like, okay, yeah, whatever. It, it's a rush. Dude, get to me and you eye level with them or right. like get just above them to where like their back is scraping the platform. Of your, like they're t- having to duck their rack under your tree stand. Like, that's happened to me one time. I'm not going to go crazy and say it happens Sweet all the time, but and it was a deer that I passed up, but he literally had to move over to dodge the platform that was out hanging in front of the trail and I wasn't shooting this deer. I would have shot him before he got to this right. point and I thought he would have bugged out at that point in time getting that close but he didn't. He literally had to move around to, to get around the tree stand platform and then went on his way. And my wind was perfect. Everything was perfect. And it's all about being still, but the rush that you get with being that close and then almost, and then like, there's like such a limited, like you have to be that much more dialed in and it's, and what people don't look at, everybody asks me, The scouting questions, the how do I break into a property? How do I, what's the first thing I do? What I think is more important than any of that is capitalizing on the opportunities that you get. There's a lot that goes into the hunt from the execution of the shot standpoint. Grabbing your bow, drawing on an animal, not getting busted, focusing, making your shot like that part, that's the. That's where people fail. A lot of people yep. are great scouters. Right. A lot of people put their get themselves in the right spot, and they they can't execute that. And that process is hard. When a deer's at twenty yards, when a deer is this close, there is absolutely no room for error. And it's just this high, like you you know that like oh dude, this could end at any second. And even this buck that I shot this past year, and I post a, a, a tease clip on it. He's coming in, and he's at ten yards, and I have a GoPro. Zoomed all the way back, and he still looks close. So that tells you how close he is. And he's he's literally coming in, and he's not giving me that quarter. His eyes, I'm in his peripheral the entire time, so he's within 15 yards for all this time. It takes so much like self patience and self like knowing what you're doing. I had to wait till he got past me, completely cleared my line of vision was on a different route, and then I had to shoot him hard quartering away way over here when, you know, because I was the only way I, I was set up, and he was coming straight in at me. There's no way you're getting away with that. Like, if, if anybody would have tried to shoot at the first opportunity, he'd have bugged out. So, it's really cool. Like, it's, it just, it makes the game tougher. It makes the game more memorable. Like, it just, it's this feeling like when when it happens, it's like just, it's a rush, man. It's, it's, Absolutely. uh... Um, and even, you know, deer that may not be of the caliber, like I've shot. And, and honestly, the biggest deer that I have on the ground are actually some of the lowest setups I've been into, which, but it's not always that way, but those ones stand, those hunts stand out more than, more than any other hunt just because they're just. I mean, that's intense, right? Right. Like you
1: said, it's hard enough to draw on a deer when you're 20 feet in the tree, let alone when they're, you know, I mean, just like everything is next level, elevated, heightened,
3: like more critical. Right.
2: And you said you're, the way you're setting up, too, you're shooting those things sitting down. Well, and, that, and see, and that's the thing, too. This is where a lot of people, they, they try and call bullshit. Oh, you, no. He, he's not doing that, or you can't do that where I'm at, or whatever. It comes down to you have to know what you're doing. You have to have a plan. You have to be systematic about it. You cannot. So I, I use this as an example. I I, I made a post. Uh, I think it was Instagram or something, and I, I made a statement about, like, knowing exactly when and where I was gonna shoot a deer and somebody like tried to call me out and was like oh that's that there's no way you knew exactly where you're gonna shoot that deer and when you're gonna shoot him like that that's impossible and I I literally started laughing I'm like I said to the guy I'm like dude if if you don't know where you're gonna shoot the deer and when you're gonna shoot them when you're setting up a stand you need to go back to you need to go back to page one yep. and start figuring this stuff out because that's that's why you're like, why are you setting a stand? If you don't know where the deer are going to come through and you don't know, you don't have a plan. Are you just throwing up a stand willy nilly and you're going to like, and that's where a lot of people are. Yes. Well, and and that's where, (laughs) that's where like if a guy, so here's another thing too, like seated shots, bow using the bow holder in the stand. I have debates with this all the time. People are like, oh no, no, I, I, I don't shoot. I, I stand up because I can. I'm more agile. I can I can move to where I need to move. I can do this standing up. My bow holder needs to be here, and, I'm, and I tell him, "I'm like you're missing the point. The point is the object is to not have to be agile. It's to not move. Right. It's to be completely invincible. Yeah, disappear, like become one in the woods. Beat them at their game. Like if you have to, if you're sitting in a stand. And you got to crank your neck every second to look at that trail. And then you have to stand up, turn around, grab your boat. You are never going to kill anything hunting as low as I and, am. You and never you should will. be set up 30 yards that way. It'll, it, it'll just never happen. Yes. It's, it's, it's one of those things where the reason, there's nothing is by chance here. The reason I do it how I do it is because I'm hunting the way I hunt. I'm hunting low, I'm hunting close quarter, I'm hunting point blank when you are in that position, you cannot get away with movement. And there's just some people that just can't. If you told me to do that for an all day sit, I'd tell you absolutely not. can't do it. And I would know I couldn't do it. And if you're a fidgeter and if you're somebody who can't sit still and who can't, then don't even try it. Just back up a little bit more, get a little height or, or even get, maybe you can still hunt low, but don't try and hunt so close. See, me, my thing is getting close. Like, this last, this last, the last hunt of the year was one of my favorite hunts of the year. It was very cold. There was, we had a ton of snow. I mean, it was probably like actual temp was probably like right in that, like one or two degrees. And then it was really cold. I had to trek in a long way through snow. Like, it's just, you couldn't access any spot with any sort of bike or anything. This is private ground, but like, you you had to walk because there's so much snow. I identified a trail and literally this, this, this tree that I set up in was a bare open tree. It was so tiny. And I was literally five feet off the ground. And the trail that was coming across this tree was literally coming feet from my right knee. And I'm like, okay, all right. So I had to mentally prepare myself for that sit. As soon as I seen the tree, I knew where I needed to be. I knew my game, but it took me a second. I'm like, all right, man, this is, this, this sit's going to suck. It's going to suck really bad. You are not going to be able to move at all. Like, you are going to have to be statue for two hours, and it's cold out here. Like, and, mm. it, and it's like, and then, and not only that, I know that late season, I know these deer are herding up. I know they're going to move in groves, and yep. I'm not going to be able to get away with anything. Like, it's, it, it's you know, that's where it is. And, man, I just feel like I have to pull this up because I have I have a picture of the tree set up that I can just, just so you can get reference. But this right here is the last... That's the last tree. This right here is where I hunted. So this is the trail. That is where I set my stand right there. And the deer were funneling out of this big woodlot. But that what's was- interesting about that though, a little bit, is like if
1: you had set up higher in that tree, like I don't know, you're definitely way more eye
2: level with the deer down low, right? But your back cover was yeah, way you're more better, skylined lined. exactly, so, what it- so and and I find that the later the season goes on, the lower I hunt. And, and now I always hunt low, but this was one of those things. Where, I mean, I was, my body was aching from being so still. I had does, especially where it was. I knew that in this location too, these deer were going to come and they were going to stage right under me. Ugh. So like, I knew that. Yeah. Like once the first deer comes out, But now that's where I wanted to like... be. Yeah. And I actually ended up passing on a deer that was in the upper, you know, probably like mid, mid forties that day. He came out last light. I was hurting. I was hurting so bad. I was so cold, so frozen to the bone. I don't even know if I could have shot him, but, like, not one deer cracked me, and that was my mission. I beat every single deer. When their job was to hit that point and and scan the open for danger and then proceed on what they were doing, like, not one single deer had detected me, and I left that hunt, like, just just jacked like just all right dude that was a, that was a success like I just, if that would have been a bigger deer that would have been game over you know game set match and and the strategy with that was okay let them be there let them get comfortable let them do whatever as soon as they drop their guard and they start off as soon as I'm out of sight boom they're getting like it, it's it's done and um it becomes tough late season two with uh not only the temperature but then like I said the deer are herding up so I think at one time in particular I killed a Really big deer, very low, and it was so ungodly painful. I I thought I was going to lose my fingers at one point in time because the he came out and he was in the group of about ten does. They were herded up, and he was right in the middle of them. And they were working their way my way, grazing in an open field. And it was happening slow. And like an idiot, well, actually not like an idiot. I probably needed to do it at that point in time, but I needed to grab my bow. And I knew that if I didn't get my bow to my knee. And I wasn't ready to shoot, he wasn't getting shot. And I was holding the riser for so long with my, and I wear fingerless gloves, which is probably bad for that. But anyway, so, and I'm just like, it hurts so bad. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta put the bow down, I gotta put the bow down. And just not being able to move. And I remember when it came time to draw, I actually fidgeted a little bit, and all the does freaking looked over and they were like, they, you could see they were like looking at each other like is there somebody in that tree right now? like did we just get and they were all out of sorts but the buck didn't see me the buck was looking another place and i remember thinking to myself like screw it they got you like if you wait any longer right. so i actually drew had to pivot like this and all these does are like they literally raised they're like they're like what like yeah. they didn't and i just time. drilled them in the middle of <laughs> yeah. like Drill them in the middle of ten does because that is a thing too. Right. If you beat them, I call it beating them. I don't know. People might not know what I'm saying, but there's a there's a period in time where the deer are at high alert, and they're at that alert for a certain period of time until they work through their system. They have a system that they're following. I, I don't know what it is. You know. I don't. Every doe is different. Every deer is different. But if you if you let them go through that system. And they get they, they enter this this phase of like not comfort I don't know what you want to call it but like they feel safe yep. like and in, in a lot of that happens when they exit big like betting areas and they're into like these new territories they got their they got their system of events where that you can tell they're checking the field they're keeping an eye on wind they're listening they got their they're full at alert if you're trying to make moves at that time you are like nine times out of ten not going to do anything right but if you, and a lot of times this is like one, this is like one special deer or like the, you know, these, these, these like old does that like, they test the waters before the herd comes out. And a lot of times if you beat them, the deer after don't even, aren't even on alert as much. They're like, they're just following suit. But in this particular instance, like those deer were comfortable in that field. They've went through that process. Like they, so that when they actually seen something that was going on, it was almost like they were they had to make sure because they were like, no, I I, ch- I was looking over there for a while and I didn't see anybody, like, and then now they see something moving and right before they bugged out, I let an arrow sail and just ten ringed them, like, and it was, but it was one of those things where like, dude, I I don't know if I would have lasted another minute, like it was just so hard to do that, but it was. It was also probably one of the most rewarding kills I've ever had. Like, just, yeah. I mean, it yeah. was just, it's crazy. That is super cool. I mean, mentally, or the deer mentally got to a point where they'd
1: given it the all clear. And, like, like you said, it was like probably like just almost like confusing. Well, certainly that's not a human being in that tree. I've been here for 20 yeah. minutes. Yeah. I a deer. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I know these things. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, man. It's, yeah. a, it's a trip, though. Yeah.
1: yeah. That and, is, that is cool. That's a good story and definitely a lot of good, a lot is. of good information in there.
0: MC Ryan's screen has gone thoroughly into the red.
1: I know. Here's what They've I love. this about pretty good. Here's what I love about this podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed this podcast. Yep. We covered a ton of ground. Every second of it Probably, might be one of our longest podcasts ever. And I feel like we have like I got to like two of the my <laughs> questions that I want to answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, Which I'm... leads me, I, I what I would like to think is some foreshadowing, part two for part two, perhaps.
2: This was awesome. Yes, bike Cody. store part two. Oh, oh boy! Oh boy! I'll be prepared for the bike store next time. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be. You got. You really. Yeah. You gotta be prepared for the bike store. Oh, man. And that's all we'll say. He'll hit me with something else. Like, all right, we're going to the fair today. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> oh no! <I> was, wait. <laughs> Look let's out. go back to the bike store. Look out, yeah. crazy clowns! <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, good stuff, Cody. Yes, thanks, a ton for joining us. Really appreciate
2: it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. It was. Thanks for listening to me uh, talk ramble. No. Oh, Super- it's. Super enjoyable. Yep. It's been awesome. Uh,
0: just for for reference, for those uh, you mentioned posting a few times, people who are listening here want to find you. Where are they going to find you?
2: Um, you can. I do most of the stuff through Instagram. So my Instagram account is just Cody underscore DeQuisto. Um, you can check that out. I I've been trying to do a lot more real time hunting feeds like this year that have been pretty popular, and and just random mobile stuff tactics, and and then if you want to check out any of the gear that we uh, that we make. Lone Wolf Custom Gear uh, would be the page for that. It'd be lonewolfcustomgear.com, too, if you wanted to go to the site and see any of that stuff. But, yeah, that's where you can uh, where you can check that stuff out.
0: Excellent. So, go ahead, check it out, and uh, let us know if you put any of this stuff to the test this season. We'd love to hear about it on our own Instagram, at Vortex Nation Podcast, YouTube comments, all that good stuff. So, without further ado, I think we'll sign this one off. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will catch you on the next one. See you. Bye. Bye.